Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening. I really love it. It makes me so happy. (laughs) If you're new, welcome to the water. We're happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you. Feel free to please follow me on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Leave a rating or a comment on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. Any feedback is very helpful, but as always, keep it respectful. You can also follow me on TikTok and Instagram. I will link that in the episode description below and you can use our support link to help us out here at Crime Dive. I will also link that in the episode description below. So today we are going to be talking about the rise and fall of Action Park. Now if you've seen the documentary on HBO Max, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you should watch it. But first, listen to me talk about it. Now I do want to give a quick shout out to Jersey, Vernon, New Jersey to be exact. Man, y'all are wild for even going to this park. Like, it's crazy. Please, if you are from New Jersey or if you went to Action Park, leave some comments. I really want to hear some crazy stories that you guys have. Anything at all, there's nothing too crazy. Again, I just ask that you keep it respectful. But yeah, comment some stories that you guys have if you went to Action Park back in the day. So Action Park can really, in my opinion, only be described as a really weird social experiment because there's just no way that place was real had to be a glitch in the matrix or some sort of weird simulation. We're really not sure, but we're going to get into it. You really can't talk about Action Park without talking about Gene Mulvihill. Now, Gene Mulvihill was the founder and CEO of Action Park. He was born in 1934 in West Orange, New Jersey. He graduated from West Orange High School and he attended Lehigh University, where he also graduated from. He served in the U.S. Marine Corps and earned the rank of a captain, but eventually he got out of the Marine Corps and at the time, Wall Street was booming in the mid-70s. Like, people were making bank and Gene really wanted in on this, so he ran a brokerage firm called Mayflower Securities. So enter Robert or Bob Brennan. Now Bob Brennan worked for the brokerage firm as a salesman, but him and Gene got really close. I guess he had really good talent and Gene recognized it and he ended up becoming Gene's best friend and soon became president of the company. Together they ran the company and it was pretty successful. But of course, Mayflower Securities gets suspended by the Security and Exchanges Commission or the SEC because they were selling penny stocks as if they were worth more than they really were. Now, if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, this is kind of how Jordan Belfort got his start. He was selling penny stocks, which were pretty much worthless, but he was having people buy like so many shares of it and he was making fat commission off of it. And this is what Bob and Gene were doing, but eventually they were found guilty of this and Mayflower Securities was suspended because this is very unethical. So Gene decides to leave the Wall Street business altogether and he buys two ski resorts in Vernon, New Jersey called Great Gorge and Vernon Valley. Vernon, New Jersey was a very small, idyllic countryside town and everybody knew each other. It was very sleepy, very quiet, very homey, just a nice small town vibe. And Gene was pretty fond of Vernon, New Jersey and the area. He felt like it was up and coming, partly because there was actually a Playboy club that opened in Vernon, New Jersey in the early 70s. So Gene decided this was the perfect place to buy up some ski resorts. Gene didn't really know what to do with the ski resorts 
in the summer because most people ski in the winter. So Jean decides to build the world's largest artificial snowmaking machine out of a jet engine. So that way people can still ski in the summer. I guess this became too much maintenance. So Jean decided to build a water park instead. So the way that Jean got money in order to build the rides and build the water park was by turning to Bob Brennan because Bob Brennan, he knew the investors, he knew the people, he had the connects. Really Action Park was one of the first modern water Water parks in the world. So there was really nothing like this. There was really no standard set because Action Park was kind of like the first of its kind. And with that, it opened in 1978. So Action Park was divided into three different sections. First, there was Alpine Center, which was home of the Alpine Slide, which we're gonna get into a little bit later. Then there was Waterworld. Waterworld had water slides and a very questionable tidal wave pool. And then there was Motorworld, which had the go-karts, the speedboats. Yes, I said speedboats. And and kayaks. And then there was a major highway called Route 94 that ran through the middle of the park. And Alpine Center and Waterworld were on one side and Motorworld was on the other side. And there was a bridge in between that park goers could use to go back and forth from one side of the park to the next. So now we're gonna detail some of these crazy, crazy rides that I still just can't understand how they got approved in the first place. But you have to think about it. It was the 70s, people didn't care. So the first crazy ride was called Cannonball Loop. Now Cannonball Loop was a very steep enclosed water slide and it had a loop right at the end of the slide. And Jean got this idea by drawing it on a cocktail napkin and was like, oh, bingo, this is it, Cannonball Loop. Now keep in mind, Jean had no engineering background or physics background whatsoever. He had no idea what he was doing. All of these ideas literally just came from his head or ride engineers' heads and they just made them happen. These were very experimental. So Jean decides to put test dummies inside the slide in order to kind of test it out and see how they'll come out looking. But the test dummies kept coming out dismembered. So he had to make a few adjustments and tweak this, tweak that, make it higher, make it lower. And then Jean decides to use his teenage employees to test the ride. And how did he get them to do it? You just promised them a hundred bucks and they took it. So his teenage employees would go down, test the ride, and they would come out with bloody mouths and they couldn't figure out why are these teenagers coming out with a bunch of blood. And it come to find out there was not very good cushioning in the slide during the loop process. They were slamming their mouths against the tube. So they were getting hurt. Jean continued to put some teenagers into the slide to figure out how to stop this from happening. So he's literally using live teenagers as test dummies and people were starting to come out of the loop with cuts and they couldn't figure out why. So Jean gets one of the ride engineers to open a trap door that was at the top of the loop that was pretty much used to extricate people that got stuck and come to find out there were teeth lodged in the padding at the top of the loop where people had been hitting their faces. And every time somebody went through the loop, they were getting cut by these teeth. Could you imagine experiencing that? Let's just sit with that mental picture for a second. But still somehow this ride got approved. Now after about a month of being open, the Cannonball Loop eventually closed because there were just way too many injuries. Now there were a lot of injuries during testing for this ride, so I don't even know why it opened in the first place, but somewhere along the way, somebody came to their senses and decided to shut it down. The next ride I'm gonna talk about is called the Aquascoot. Now the Aquascoot was pretty much another water slide. It was an angled slide. And what you did was you took a plastic sled and you went down this water slide and you skidded 
over top the water at the very end to see how far you could go before you fell in the water. But if you leaned too far forward, you would face plant on the slide, on the water, either or. There was very little protection. There were no railings. There was nothing. It was literally just you, this plastic sled, and luck on your side. I actually have a video of this ride on my TikTok. If you want to check it out, it's linked in the episode description below. Then there was a ride called the Tarzan Swing. And the Tarzan Swing is pretty much what it sounds like. You use a rope to swing before you fall into the water. And the water was ice cold. And there was an observation deck where you could wait in line and watch people go on the ride. And there were people pretty much watching you go on the ride and they would kind of scream at you and yell at you. We're going to get into the vibe of the park a little bit later, but they were crazy. And there was really no lifeguard that would help you if you were struggling in this cold water. It was kind of just like you were on your own. Then there was the cliff dive. It was, again, exactly what it sounds like. You just jump off a 20-foot cliff down into the water. There was also a slide on the side of the same cliff if you didn't want to jump and you just wanted to slide down. But there wasn't a lot of delegation on this ride. There was just wasn't a lot of order. And that's kind of the theme of Action Park. There's just really no order. People would jump off the cliff while there were still people in the water right below them that had also just jumped. And the lifeguards weren't really telling, you know, wait a second until this person clears out and then you can go. No, everybody was just jumping whenever they felt like it. And people could jump right on top of you if you didn't get the hell out the way. And you were supposed to jump off the cliff with your arms crossed over your chest, but people would jump the wrong way. They would do flips and some people would slip and fall. No one listened. No one gave a goddamn about the rules. And you could get seriously injured and a lot of people did. A lot of people would dislocate their shoulders for not jumping the way the lifeguards told them to. The floor that was underneath the water of the cliff dive was painted white to make it easier to see bodies below the surface. That just goes to show you right there. Next, there was the surf hill. And the surf hill was kind of similar to the aqua scoot, only you went on your stomach. So surf hill was pretty much a slip and slide on the side of a mountain. And you would use a mat to slide into the air and land back on the slide. So the idea was you were kind of supposed to go airborne for a second before making contact back with the slide. Sounds really crazy, really, really crazy. And one kid actually broke their neck on this ride. So these next two rides kind of go hand in hand. They're called Roaring Springs and Colorado River Ride. So these were both tube rides and it's pretty much sitting in a tube. You're just letting the water take you. Now Roaring Springs was an individual tube ride, whereas Colorado River Ride was a group tube because it was a little bit crazier. So you couldn't get in it by yourself, I guess, because the weight distribution would cause you to just flip. But pretty much for the Roaring Springs ride, you literally had to just hold on for dear life. Like there's really no other way to say it. The ride attendants would just let people's tubes go back to back. And this really bunched up the rides because the tubes were just too close together and people would crash their tubes into each other a lot of the time and get seriously injured. One guest was actually impaled in the midsection by an exposed bolt in the ride that was just out. It was just out for anybody to get caught on and no one even knew that it was exposed until this happened. And the Colorado River ride was pretty similar, only it was a little bit worse. Pretty much you went wherever the ride took you. It went really fast sometimes. It could even get stuck at some points because the ride was just so poorly designed. If you got stuck, you pretty much had to sit there and wait for another tube to knock the hell out of you in order to free you. And at that point, you could even start going backwards. Like it literally just went wherever it took you. You had no control. Now the original concept of the Colorado River ride started out as a lazy river. I guess this was just too boring for Gene. So he decided to change the ride to simulate rapid waters and early testing of this ride. So people would go in and he had people testing the ride before they
before they allowed the public to ride it. And it made people unconscious. So Gene had to turn the intensity down a little bit. He had to slow the ride down because at first it was wild. He had to, he had to chill on that one. And most of the time, the lifeguard chairs at the Colorado River ride were empty. And it was said that some of the worst fights in the park were on this ride because people would get mad when their tubes would plow into one another. So once the ride was over, whoever had beef during the ride, they would get out of the ride and they would just start throwing hands. Next, we have the wave pool, which given its reputation, coined the name the grave pool. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So the wave pool was very crowded and it kind of has this, you know, if you've been to a wave pool at a water park, you know that every once in a while these big waves will come and it's supposed to kind of simulate the ocean. But the water was way too powerful for just a regular wave pool for a bunch of kids to go in. The end of the wave pool where the waves were the highest and the water was the deepest was known as the death zone. And the lifeguard chair that manned the death zone was called the death chair. So not the most promising premise of the day. And the water in the wave pool was very murky. There was a mixture of mud, suntan lotion, human waste, and blood from wounds. So next time you're in a wave pool, just think about that. Because this water was so murky, oftentimes if someone went under, it would be very hard to see them. So the wave pool had to get stopped every once in a while to make sure there were no bodies underneath the surface. Now we're gonna enter into Motor World. So Motor World was home of the speedboat. Now in the documentary, in case you haven't seen it, there's a woman named Faith Anderson and she's blonde, she has short hair, and she recounts her time working at Action Park as a teenager and she worked in Motor World, which apparently was the place that you didn't want to work. It was the place that you worked if you either pissed someone off or you didn't have the connects to get put in Water World. So she worked the speedboats ride and she tells a story about this time where there were two speedboats and they were coming at the end of their run. You Apparently you got three laps around and she does recall the say in the story that they had eight of them out at the same time. So these two speedboats, they're coming up the ramp at the same time when all of a sudden one of them is stopped and the other one just keeps going and he runs over top of the other boy's speedboat and lands on top of him and teenage faith was terrified because she's like oh my gosh he just got decapitated like he literally ran his speedboat on top of another speedboat on top of this guy's head but come to find out the boy put his head down at the last second he had a wound on the back of his neck he was bleeding but this kid is just still going like he still has the throttle going still on the gas you're literally on top of somebody and you have the whole ass throttle going like there's not a person underneath of you so she says that she's banging her stick down to get off the guy because it's like oh my gosh you're, you're gonna kill him like what if his hair gets caught in it and eventually the kid gets off and then he just runs away like nothing ever happened this was the vibe of action park he's like oops oh well and just gets up and runs doesn't care earlier when i brought up the speedboats, i kind of put emphasis on them because i guess to me it's very hard to believe that guests were allowed to ride these full powered speedboats. like if you've watched the documentary and you see videos of the guests driving them it just looks insane i don't know why that's just so crazy to me like these were legit speedboats and y'all were just allowed to drive them all jammed up next to each other and I don't know I feel like you have to have a damn I don't know some sort of certification or license or something and they got like nine-year-olds out here driving speedboats it was just a wild scene but I mean hey that was the 70s that was the 80s no one gave a fuck in snake infested waters and dead fish might I add this water was full of oil and gas 
and boats always flipped probably every hour into these snake infested waters and next we have the battle action tanks and this is probably the only ride at action park i think i would actually get on it's not even a real ride it's more of an activity but pretty much you get in this little tank and it has a cannon on the outside of it where you shoot tennis balls out of to hit other tanks and that seems so fun but of course you know one guy has to ruin it for everybody this one guest he somehow got a hold of a gas can that was just around not sure why there was a gas can out around a kid's ride for a guest to get a hold of but that's what happened and this particular guest poured gasoline on their tennis balls lit them on fire and fired the balls out of the tank and of course he got ejected i don't think anybody was injured but the fact that that was even <laughs> possible is just wild now there were some rides at action park that were even too crazy for gene so that's how you know it was crazy and one of these rides and yes i am saying the name right was called the man in the ball in the ball now y'all know i couldn't talk about action park without talking about the story of the man in the ball in the ball the ride that never was so this ride did not make it to the park because it was just way too dangerous and it was because of this incident so the man in the ball in the ball ride consisted of a two-door ball contraption that a guest was supposed to go inside of so pretty much there was a big steel metal ball and then you open one door and then there's another ball and then you open the other door and that's where you're supposed to get inside so i guess this was kind of like double protection in a way but essentially it's one ball inside of another ball hence the name the man in the ball in the ball you get inside and you're supposed to roll down this track that goes down the side of a mountain. Gene really likes mountains because almost all of his rides are somehow made on a mountain or a cliff, but Gene liked the height and the craziness. It made it go faster the higher up it was, and that was really his goal. The day came for them to test the ride out on a real person, and this day happened to be particularly hot. So the track was made of PVC pipe, and because it was so hot out this day, the pipe actually expanded. And during the test run, the track completely fell apart apart and the ball just went rogue went crazy the ball didn't stop rolling just because the track fell apart the ball continued to roll down the mountain at full speed ahead with nothing stopping it because at this point the track was gone now keep in mind there's still a live human being inside of this ball just in case you forgot. So this ball rolled all the way down the mountain, down the middle of the highway, Route 94, and landed in a swamp on the other side of the highway. The man inside was fine, but as you can imagine, he was probably scared out of his damn mind. After that happened, they were like, okay, no, we can't, we can't, we can't let people ride this. But this ride kind of seemed impossible from the start. Even if the track hadn't fell apart, the ball was so big and the track was so small and skinny. I feel like this was bound to happen anyway, even if the pipe had and expanded and gotten weak because the whole reason the track fell apart in the first place was because it was so hot outside and the park is only open in the summer so imagine had it not been overly hot that day they tested it and it worked and then they go to have an actual guest ride it on a really hot summer day when it was open to the public that could have been really really bad another ride that didn't make the cut was called the zero gravity water slide now this slide was designed kind of similar to the ride i talked about earlier where you kind of go airborne for a second pretty much the slide was designed to have passengers just lose contact with the slide and slam back down on the slide later on at the end 
end. Now this is depending on how fast the person is going and the angle at which the person slid. It was a lot that depended on what the guest did. And that was really Gene's whole vision. He really wanted the guests to be in control. But when there's a bunch of 10 year olds running around, it's probably not the best thing for them to be in control. And Gene, once again, used teenage employees to test this ride and it actually went well uh, for the first few test runs it was actually going pretty well but then one kid as i said one kid always has to ruin it for everybody decides to do the most and he goes way too fast when he first slides down the slide and he completely missed the landing so he goes airborne and he lands on the ground in front of the water slide so after that the ride was dismantled they were like okay we can't do that he was actually okay like he, he was fine you know he didn't get injured but he very easily could have gotten injured so they couldn't take the chance and a lot of these rides were designed by people who really did not know what the hell they were doing and gene honestly he approved most of the designs and the designs were crazy but if anything gene would make the designs crazier so during construction he would always make tweaks to make it bigger more wild make it faster taller so if anybody was really crazy it was gene and he really was just experimenting with people's lives because a lot of the time these rides were just not safe and he really didn't know if they were going to be safe or not so he was pretty much just experimenting with things to see what the hell would happen which is really wild to do in an amusement park full of mostly children so the vibe of the park was as i've said it's just pretty much no one cared no one gave a damn nobody listened to the signs and nobody corrected them no one listened to directions they were never yelled at they were never reprimanded it was just like whatever i mean when you couple aggressive drunk young people with the heat something's bound to happen something's bound to go down it's about to get crazy people are going to be obnoxious now action park it attracted a middle class working class crowd because a lot of these people weren't really going on vacations maybe they couldn't afford to go on vacations or they didn't have a vacation home so what did you do you would just went to action park now me and my family growing up we were the type of family that we went to water parks and amusement parks we didn't really go on vacation so if i lived in new jersey or new york i probably would have went to action park not saying it would have been the best decision decision but I mean options are pretty limited when you're not really going on vacations like that. There were a lot of fights at Action Park. Local police stations said that most of their calls during the day came from Action Park because people were just acting damn fools in the heat losing their mind. Guests would even fight some of the workers but I mean this was pretty common because the workers were kids themselves. Action Park was mainly ran by 16 and 17 year olds and Gene didn't care. I mean he didn't consider the labor laws. He would give you as many hours as you wanted no matter how old you were now by law in the state of new jersey you had to be 16 to operate rides but gene had kids as young as 14 operating rides and it was very easy to get hired at action park pretty much as long as you were breathing you had a job i mean gene hated rules and the park really showed that he wanted everyone else to not follow the rules as well and that's pretty much what happened you were on your own and you were in control you were in control of how fast the ride went you were in control of how many times you wanted to go on the ride like it really didn't matter gene really wanted his guests to be able to control their experience and have as much fun as they want and as cool as that sounds kids should not have that much power because they don't know what the hell to do with it now as you can imagine with this type of freedom there were a lot of injuries and gene really didn't like to report these injuries unless the ambulance was called he only reported the serious ones as the injuries increased nothing changed as far as the safety of the park no one gave a damn you could still do what you wanted nothing was put in a place 
to prevent injuries because Gene liked to cover up how many injuries there were because he was afraid that it would bring bad press. And he wasn't required to report the injury count to the state. So why would he? And I think a lot of Gene's kind of carefree disregard for the rules really could be attributed to the culture at that time. I mean, it was like by this point, we're getting into the 80s and the 80s vibe was pretty much carefree, self-governing. The more unregulated and the less rules there are, the more you're able to thrive. And everybody else kind of was just on board with it. So they were like, cool. And people really liked Gene. Like he was very well liked by the kids at the park. They even called him Uncle Gene because who doesn't like the adult that doesn't care about rules or the adult that gave you $100 to do some crazy shit that you probably would have done for free. Everybody likes that person. The adult that just wants the kids to have fun and do what they want, have no limits to your fun. People loved Gene because he was the biggest proponent of this. As I said earlier, mixing young people, alcohol, and heat is never really that great of an idea. And alcohol was pretty big at Action Park. Now, Gene was very into like Oktoberfest and polka festivals and like just any kind of festival that you could have where there was alcohol. That was Gene's thing. He even had a whole brewery dismantled and shipped from Germany to the park. And hey, people liked it. People were fine with it because they wanted to get drunk too. So working at Action Park, you knew that Waterworld was during the day and you know you kind of go do Waterworld have fun then you change your clothes dry off go drink and then go to Motor World at night now I want you guys to imagine this for a second the sequence of events that I just said Waterworld drink Motor World drink Motor World just so happened that the beer tent was right next to Motor World Hmm. Specifically, the go-kart ride. Kind of picking up what I'm putting down here. So people would go to the beer tent, get drunk, and head over to the go-karts and drive. And oftentimes, people would go off track. Some of the employees even learned how to override the speed cap of the go-karts to make them go up to 50 to 60 miles per hour. And some of these fools would take the cars on Route 94 and just drive down the highway. I mean, hey, they were keeping up with the flow of traffic because it was going to 50, 60 miles per hour. But like, what the hell? The fact that they were even allowed to go off course to do that, like shouldn't there have been some sort of like tire barrier or something to stop that? But keep in mind, this was the 80s. Those things were not in place because there were no rules. There was no supervision. So although the children of Vernon liked Gene because he made it easy for them to break the rules and do whatever they wanted, some of their parents did not. So at this time, people either loved Gene or hated Gene. Some people felt that Gene was doing a great job bringing fun and life to Vernon, New Jersey by creating this park. I mean, it gave them something to do, gave them somewhere to go. A lot of people liked it, but some people hated it. They felt that Gene was ruining their sleepy, quiet little town because the park was bringing more traffic and more crazy antics, more people from other places that they felt were just disrupting things. And a lot of people really didn't like this, but of course, as you can imagine, Gene did not care. He did not care about most things. He he often bended the rules in order to make things easier for himself to thrive. And one rule that Gene broke was not having insurance. Gene decided to create a fake insurance company called London and World Assurance, and it was said to be based in the Cayman Islands. Pretty much, Gene did this to avoid paying for insurance, and he wanted less liability when it came to creating these crazy ass rides because no legitimate insurance company would approve half the shit that Gene built at this park. 
And again, he didn't want to be told what to do. He didn't want to be told what rides he could make and not make. He wanted to do what he wanted. So he made his own insurance company. So that way he could approve everything. He also used this fake London and World Assurance Company to launder money through. And eventually people started to catch wind of this, that Gene was doing some pretty sketchy stuff. So the state of New Jersey ordered Gene to turn over all of his insurance information and any important documents to verify his insurance. It didn't take long for them to realize that all of these documents were fake. So Gene was arraigned on a 110 count indictment and the charges included, but weren't limited to criminal conspiracy, fraud, theft, embezzlement, and tax evasion. And in 1984, Gene pled guilty to counts of fraud, theft, and conspiracy. And he was ordered by the state of New Jersey to give up control of Action Park. And as you can imagine, Gene was like, hell no. He refused. He was not having it. Now, part of Action Park, like part of the land that Action Park was built on, was owned by the state. And Gene actually changed the landscape of the part of the park that New Jersey owned. And he was not allowed to do this. He did not have permission to do this. He did it anyway. He was mad that he was found guilty, even though he's the one who did it. And he was like, I'm not giving up control of this park. I'm going to do what I want. So he decided to stop paying his rent. He stopped paying bills to the state. And at one point, point he owed them over a hundred thousand dollars in rent money and he just wanted to be as uncooperative as possible in order to get the state of New Jersey to back off and it actually worked. New Jersey sold him the part of the land that they owned because they couldn't deal with him anymore and they sold it to him for around eight hundred thousand dollars and with that Gene could officially do whatever the hell he wanted. You may be wondering why was he able to get away with all of this crap? Well Gene had really important friends so because of this, he suffered almost no consequences for any of his actions really at all. Yeah, he pled guilty to fraud and conspiracy, but once they told him to give up control of Action Park, he just refused and they were like, okay, we'll just sell you the land then. Nothing really came of that. A lot of people were pretty upset about this. A lot of people didn't like the fact that Gene had so much power. These people were usually the people that sued the park for their injuries. So anytime someone got injured at the park and they decided to sue, Gene refused to settle. He would not settle at all. He fought every case and took every case to trial. And he made the trial as long and annoying as he possibly could just to make people dismiss it and give it up. And a lot of the time this worked. He got people to just drop it and give it up. But if he lost, he wouldn't even pay the victims. The U.S. Marshal would have to show up to the park and demand the payment. And it was really hard for him to pay people because his insurance company was fake. And that's usually where the money was coming from. Action Park over time was starting to become more and more dangerous. More people were getting injured. Got to the point where they were literally occupying too many ambulances during the day in Vernon, New Jersey. And Gene actually had to sit down and have a meeting with the state to figure out some sort of solution because they were like, we don't have enough resources to keep going to Action Park throughout the day. So Gene had to buy his own ambulance just for the park. And you would think that if somebody was constantly occupying your ambulances throughout the day, that you might look at them and go, hmm, what the hell is going on over there? But instead, they were just like, get your own ambulance. We don't want it to be our problem anymore. That's pretty much how it went. I said I was going to revisit the Alpine Slide. The Alpine Slide was arguably the most dangerous ride in the park because this is where the most injuries that were sustained from the park were from, as well as the most severe injuries. So the Alpine Slide was pretty much a slide where you took a chairlift to get to the top of, you guessed it, 
a mountain because Jean loved some damn mountains and you rode a cart. So your cart that you were supposed to ride to get down the Alpine slide, it was attached to your chairlift. And it was very easy to just nudge your cart off of the chairlift and have it fall onto the track below while people were riding. So once you got to the top of the mountain from your chairlift, there would be pictures of bloody guests that had gotten hurt on the ride. So not really something that you wanna see right before you're about to get on, but I guess this was just kind of a way to scare you. So what you do on the Alpine slide is you sit on a cart and you slide down the mountain on this track. And the track was made of, or the slide was made of concrete, fiberglass, and asbestos. Asbestos, what the hell? You sit on this cart, you slide down this asbestos made slide, and you use a control stick that's on the cart in between your legs to control your speed. You pull up to slow down, and you push down to speed up. But of course, these control sticks were almost always broken. And you did not have to ride with a helmet, even though this slide was surrounded by huge rocks. Pretty much every time someone got on, or most of the time, people would fly off. The track itself and the slide was not secure. Carts flipped a lot. There were so many injuries on this slide because the way it was designed, it really wasn't designed to keep you on the slide. And a lot of people would get skinned up, they would break bones. Even a three-year-old little girl lost a part of her finger after it got caught in the control stick. It was just ridiculous. Don't even know why a three-year-old was even allowed on this ride. And there were just so many concussions. Over a hundred people would be injured on this ride alone in just one day. One injury on the Alpine slide was sustained by a man named Kenneth Eng. He was 28 years old and from Brooklyn, New York. And in August of 1979, he was riding the Alpine slide and someone stopped right in front of him. So he pulled the brake very quickly and he lost control of his cart and his leg got stuck in a hole between the track and the ground because it was so poorly designed. And he broke his leg in five places. He was wearing a thigh cast for seven months. He had to get pins in his legs and he was actually up for a city sanitation job, but he couldn't pass the physical because of his injuries. So him and his wife, Marianne, they almost lost their new home. Eventually they sued the park and won $180,000. The Alpine slide was also responsible for the first ever recorded death at Action Park. George Larson Jr., who went by Georgie, was born on December 26, 1960, just after midnight. His mother's name was Esther Larson and his father's name was George Larson Sr. Georgie was popular, he wrestled, and he was very well-liked. He was a very athletic guy. He decided to go to Action Park on July 8, 1980. He was supposed to be working with his dad and his younger brother, Brian, but he decided that he wanted to go to Action Park instead. And he went with his friend, and they decided to go on the Alpine slide. So Georgie goes on the Alpine slide and of course the cart brake wasn't working. So when he rounds a bend, he tries to slow himself down, but he flies off the track instead and he flips down the mountainside and hit his head on some rocks. His mom was called at home and told that Georgie was in the trauma center of the hospital. So his dad and his brother Brian, they were working when they got the call and they decided to go to the hospital as well. And, and no one was really too worried about Georgie because he was so athletic. No one really seemed to think anything was wrong. They kind of just thought maybe with some cuts, some bruises, some scrapes, no one thought he was going to be seriously injured. But when Georgie's mom went to the hospital room, she found out that Georgie had actually been moved to another hospital. But she saw the bed that he had been in before he was moved and there was blood all over 
over the pillowcase. Once he got to the other hospital, the doctors checked multiple times for brain waves to see if there was any sort of brain activity and there was really no sign that he was gonna wake up. They actually had a doctor that was a relative of their family visit from Connecticut in order to check Georgie and kind of get his take on everything, but he looked at him too and knew that he wasn't gonna wake up. And on July 16th, 1980, George Larson Jr. passed away at just 19 years old after being in a coma for a week. And as I said earlier, he was the first person to die at Action Park only two years after it had opened. And Georgie's funeral service was held at the Immaculate Conception Church in Franklin, New Jersey. His brother Brian actually details this in the documentary. Brian was set to be married four days later on July 20th and Georgie was supposed to be his best man, but he had to get one of his other brothers to do it instead. And Brian just remembers the day being really foggy and cloudy and as you can imagine. And Jean Mulvihill never reached out to the family at all. You're the CEO of the park. Someone died as a direct result of an injury they sustained on one of your rides and you don't even reach out to the family. It's almost as if Jean felt like reaching out to the family or apologizing to the family would be, I guess, some sort of admission of guilt when really he is guilty because you designed these rides and they're not safe and someone passed away. So it really is your fault. But of course, he's not gonna take accountability. Action Park did release a statement and they said, quote, the ride didn't injure Larson. It was a rock 25 feet away that hurt him. The same thing could have happened to someone falling off of a bicycle. How? disrespectful. I'm sure a rock 25 feet away would not have affected Georgie in any way had he not flown off of your crazy ride because the brake wasn't working. The fact that they could even say that is just crazy and then try to compare it to falling off a bike. That's just so disrespectful. They even lied and said that George was an employee of the park, that the accident happened at night, and that it was raining outside. None of this was true at all, but they said this to kind of place blame on Georgie and the circumstances surrounding the accident. Pretty much they said everything they could to not blame the ride itself. And Gene claimed that he didn't report the death or the injury of Georgie because he was an employee and not a paying guest, which makes no sense. One, Georgie was not an employee. Georgie worked as a ski lift operator for a few days during the winter at Vernon Valley, which is the ski resort right next to Action Park that Gene owned. But he never worked at Action park. He was there as a paying customer and it didn't happen at night and it wasn't raining. He was there during the day as a customer. But again, Gene was saying all of this to evade responsibility for the fact that his ride was too dangerous and ultimately resulted in someone's death. So the state of New Jersey told Gene that he couldn't open the park on the 4th of July because there were some dangerous rocks that were near the Alpine slide that he hadn't removed. And I guess Gene lied and said he removed the rocks so he was allowed to open up that day, but he didn't actually remove the rocks. And these ended up being the rocks that Georgie hit his head on just four days later, four days after the 4th of July. And the newspapers took Gene's side. Someone died and people were taking the park side. They were printing fake stories, pretty much going along with Gene's narrative because they were in his back pocket. And the Larson family was furious, as you can imagine. They sued Gene and the park, but surprisingly, Gene settled. He didn't normally settle, but the case didn't end up going to court and they settled for $100,000. The Larson family really wasn't happy about this. They wanted Gene to be 
be held accountable. They didn't want him to just settle, but that's what he ended up doing. And the family eventually moved to Florida because they just couldn't stand being in Vernon, New Jersey anymore. Action Park was the biggest thing in New Jersey and Vernon at the time, and they couldn't even stand to live near it anymore. The next recorded death at Action Park happened on July 24th, 1982. 15-year-old George Lopez from Brooklyn, New York, drowned in the tidal wave pool. Remember the tidal wave pool I was talking about earlier? It's crazy. It's way too powerful. The waves are way too high. And this poor 15-year-old got caught up in it. The next death was just a week later on July 30th. And this death occurred on the kayak experience ride. So Jeffrey Nathan, who was from Long Island, New York, he was riding his kayak, just having a normal day, hanging out with his friends. When all of a sudden he flipped out of the kayak. Now there were underwater fans that pushed the flow of the water to kind of simulate the experience of kayaking on a stream. And one of the fans short-circuited when Jeffrey flipped out of his kayak. And he either got too close to the fan or touched it and he was electrocuted. And he was taken to St. Anthony Community Hospital where he was pronounced dead at only 27 years old. After Jeffrey's passing, the ride was shut down for good. His cousin, Steve Lagenthal, was 26 and Stephen's wife, Janet, who was 24, were also injured, but they survived and they actually ended up suing the park as well. On August 25th, 1984, Donald DePass was riding Roaring Springs, which was the crazy tube ride that I mentioned earlier, and he drowned on this ride. He was taken to Wallkill Valley General Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 20 years old. And there were 20 lifeguards on duty, and no one saw him go under until it was too late. That same year, Action Park claimed another life. Now, I wasn't able to find the identity of this person, but according to articles that I've read, a man was riding the Tarzan swing, and when he swung into the water. It was so cold. His system went into shock and he had a heart attack and passed away. Why people were allowed to swing into water that was that cold still doesn't make any sense to me to this day. The last recorded death at Action Park occurred on July 19th, 1987 in, once again, the tidal wave pool. Gregory Grandchamps from Queens, New York drowned in the tidal wave pool and he was also taken to Wallkill Valley General Hospital where he was pronounced dead on arrival at just eight years old. The fact that this was able to go on for seven years and no one checked Gene, no one changed anything, no one made any ride any safer, this just continued to happen. And it was just so sad that so many people had to die. One is too many people, but five people to die and two people died on one ride and it's still open. It makes no sense. Like Chris Gethard said in the documentary, no one should be the second person to die in a wave pool. If one person dies, close the fucking wave pool. But Gene loved the money that it was bringing in. As long as people were attending, he did not care. And that's just ridiculous that he was prioritizing money and profits over literal people's lives. And most of the victims were so young because most of the park goers were so young. Gene had the town in his back pocket. So he faced no repercussions for this. Action Park was Sussex County's largest employer. It created revenue, it created jobs, and it really helped push and improve the economy. And because of this, Gene was protected by city officials. He was making them money, so they didn't care what happened. They looked the other way when Gene did all his illegal shit, when he wasn't making his rides safe, and no one cared because he was keeping their pockets fat. Town officials and their children oftentimes worked for Gene, and Gene would even buy homes for them. Gene was buying elected officials homes. They were prioritizing living this plush life funded by Gene over people's lives. And Gene would give season passes, free memberships, 
perks, all kinds of things to really important people because he wanted them to support him. He wanted them to scratch his back because he was scratching theirs. And Gene was also pretty scary. He was kind of powerful himself. He would threaten people. In a redacted file that was released, Gene told an individual that if he investigated a certain matter, he was going to get somebody to hire a Russian hitman to kill them and their family. He was crazy. He would go to the ends of the earth to protect his park and his vision. He did not care. Gene even got local journalist Jesse Palladini fired from her job working at the Vernon newspaper. So she was also in the documentary on HBO and she kind of details this, but she was fired by the newspaper that she worked for because apparently Gene was told by local officials that if he didn't get Jesse fired, they weren't gonna approve his projects anymore. And she was so confused. She's like, why did you guys want me fired? Like what the hell's going on? And pretty much Gene says in a phone call that was recorded and released on the HBO documentary that they wanted to fire her because supposedly she put the word out that someone working close to Gene was in the mob. Now it's rumored that Gene was involved in the mob and he had mob ties, but I don't think anything was ever confirmed. But because of this, they were like, Jesse's gotta go. She was a whistleblower. She was exposing them. So they wanted her out of there. But surprisingly, Jesse and Gene actually ended up becoming friends a little bit later. So eventually Action Park started to decline. Attendance to the park decreased because the deaths were becoming more apparent. They were getting out there the lawsuits were becoming public as a result of the people who died at the park. And there was just a lot of bad press surrounding Action Park. And a lot of people really didn't want to go anymore. I mean, and two, times really changed. Safety was more of a priority. In the 70s and the 80s, people didn't really care about that. To be honest, there was no standard of safety when it came to amusement parks. People kind of just wanted to do what they wanted. But at this point, it's the mid 90s. People didn't want to take those risks anymore. Safety was more of the priority. They were kind of just, they were over the risks. They were over the craziness. And the park was actually fined $30,000 by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, due to safety violations against employees. Pretty much, Gene was being negligent to his employees. Go figure. I feel like we already knew this. Some of the violations included failure to provide respiratory protection, failure to provide protective gloves, allowing employees to inhale toxic fumes, and exposing employees to fire hazards. Not to mention the ski resort, Vernon Valley, that was right next to Action Park, that Gene also owned was about to go bankrupt and things would only get worse when Bob Brennan, Gene's buddy that I mentioned before that was funding all of his crazy ass projects. Yeah, well the SEC caught up to him again and after years of fraud, he was found guilty of money laundering and bankruptcy fraud and sentenced to almost 10 years in prison. And with that, Gene lost his biggest investor. Things would only continue to get worse when Great American Recreation Incorporation, which was the company that owned Action Park, just to clarify, Great American Recreation Incorporation, that's, I know, a mouthful, is the name of the company that Gene owned. And this company was the parent company that owned Action Park and his ski resort, Vernon Valley. They filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in April of 1996. They were $40 million in debt. And with that, Action Park closed for good at the end of the summer in 1996. It was really the end of an era for a lot of people. In 1998, Action Park was bought by InsureWest, which was a resort company. And they took most of the infamous rides out of Action Park and renamed it Mountain Creek. So Action Park, as everyone knew it, was gone because a lot of the crazy rides that people rode on that really cost some people their lives and caused a lot of injuries, they were all gone. In 2010, Gene and a group of investors bought Mountain Creek back from InsureWest. So Gene pretty much was just like, we gotta get things back on track. We wanna get Action Park back to how it 
was. So they decided to buy the park back. But only two years later, Jean Mulvihill died on October 27th, 2012 at 78 years old. And he was survived by his wife, Gail, and his six children and 16 grandchildren. His funeral was held at the Church of Christ the King. In 2014, Jean's son, Andrew, changed the name back to Action Park. So there's a lot going on. In 2018, the park was bought by Joe Hessian. And Joe Hessian used to actually work at the park, the original Action Park when he was a teenager. And he decided to change the name back to Mountain Creek Water Park, which honestly, I don't like. I feel like if you worked there as an employee, as a kid, you know how special the name was. You know how iconic the name was. So I'm very surprised that he decided to change the name back to what it was named after by the new owners. So I thought that was a bit odd. Today, Mountain Creek Water Park is still there in Vernon, New Jersey. Obviously, it's very different than the original Action Park, and it's also not called Action Park anymore. But yeah, it's still there to this day. So all in all, Action Park leaves behind a pretty infamous legacy. Six people died at the park within a seven-year span. It was very dangerous. A lot of the rides probably should have never been made in the first place. Especially in the documentary, people speak of the park very fondly. You know, it's almost like a rite of passage to go to the park and get an injury and say that you went there. It was almost like this shared experience that everyone had. And it seemed like a lot of people really did like the park. But then you have to think of the people who suffered life-changing injuries like Kenneth Eng or people who lost loved ones like Esther Larson. You know, my heart truly does go out to them because Action Park doesn't have a fond memory to them. For them, it was the last place their loved one was alive. So many preventable deaths, so many preventable injuries that happened. And it's just really sad that Jean was too greedy and too self-absorbed to care enough to make any sort of safety changes to his rides. He didn't have the best interest of the people at heart. I mean, an amusement park is supposed to be for the people. It's supposed to be for the kids. And he wasn't even protecting them. And it's really sad that people put their trust in Jean and he pretty much screwed them. People trust their kids to go to the park and have fun. Like you don't expect your loved one to not come home after going to an amusement park. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it's a little bit different than the last two episodes that I did, but I do kind of want to mix it up a little bit. So if you guys want more stuff like this, let me know, leave some comments. Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope to see you in the water soon.